the way I've heard it is that he gave kind of like a framework and then Miyazaki and his team like basically filled in the gaps. <laughs> so so George R.R. R. Martin finding yet another thing to do other than finishing his series. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 471. It's a podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm Josh. Welcome back, Josh. Thanks for having me back. So, some, some themes are better than others, and yours is one of them. <laughs> like listening to I it. I thought about changing it, but I feel like at this point, like, I just can't. It's too good. What would you change it to? Honestly, the the thing I'd potentially change it to is there's, um, when this, when Undertale, the game that's from, was at its height, you had, like, YouTube musicians who do, like, different takes on the Undertale music, and uh, there's a guitarist I follow who did a metal version of it. Oh, so the same song. So, so same thing, but with guitar. Yeah. Okay. Can you send that along so I can at least hear it? If we don't, even if we don't use it. Oh, sure. I could do that. Cool. It is on YouTube, free to experience. Sorry, I was distracted. It sounds like somebody's driving heavy machinery down my street. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, if I can hear it. With all this. And yeah, it's, it's not it's picking up <laughs> at all, as far as I can tell. Oh, you, you couldn't hear it through the microphone. That's good. So it means your microphone's doing its job and only picking up what you want it to. It does tend to pick up everything in the room, though. But obviously the heavy machinery on the street is not in the room. Oh, maybe that's my recycling that's two days late. I bet you that's what that is. Yeah, I've had that issue with my uh, recycle service, though not two days, but there was a period of about two months where they consistently ran a day late, though they seem to not be doing that for the last little bit. So, Is that um, like something service provided by the county or the municipality, or is that extra third-party thing you got to pay for? It yeah, here it's it's you have to arrange your own garbage and recycling pickup. Has like I started out with one of the small local outfits that got bought by one of the big companies that got in turn bought by an even bigger company. So well, that's what happened up here is every every little company got bought up by the one company and they suck. They raised all the prices and they reduced the services and then they're late every all, you know, every week. See, in my in my case, I've been willing to tolerate the lateness as long as it didn't get too bad, because I am grandfathered in under a rate from a plan that doesn't even exist. Oh, that's nice. Uh, so I'm saving so much on my trash pickup. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I can I can tolerate a lot before I'll start shopping around. <laughs> yeah, whereas... it, it, it's has it has it used to be the hot thing where like especially amongst the smaller companies they do it was what was referred to as a pay as you throw uh program where you pay a lot less for the regular fee 
then you'd like buy special bags from them for your trash. So like your overall rate ended up being tied to the amount you were throwing out. Sure. And so my, my rate is based on that, but that program doesn't actually exist with the larger company. Um, so I'm paying the lower regular rate, but not having to buy the special bags from them. Uh, <laughs> and they have not fixed that yet. And I'm not going to point it out to them. Like uh, when I added recycling, like a couple of years ago, I was worried when they opened up my account, that would things would get set Red back flags. to where they're supposed yeah. should be. <laughs> Um, but no, no, it just, they added the recycling and didn't even look at what was happening with my trash rate. So, so because you don't have the special bags anymore, you don't pay the per bag thing. You just pay the low rate. I, I'm just paying the low rate and just using whatever bags I want. And they're honoring that old rate, despite the fact that it was based on a program <laughs> they're not following. <laughs> And like, I remember when I first noticed this after the big company bought them out, their customer service was like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> they, they weren't going to make waves about it. And I certainly wasn't going to press them to make waves about it. So yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> if they haven't noticed by now, uh, they don't, they, they, they must not care. It, it, it they must be cool with it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of what I, I, I mean, it, it, big, big, massive corporation, like whatever amount I'm underpaying probably is <laughs> peanuts to them. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, they haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a symbiotic relationship that you've <laughs> got there. Awesome. I wish we could do that up here. <laughs> there is some new program, though, I just found out about, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's, uh. I think it's hefty. Hefty has something to do with there's special orange bags that you can buy and uh your your trash and recycling uh company has to participate in it and mine does. It's kind of strange it's the one good thing they actually do, but it's it's hard to recycle plastics like films and yeah, yeah. you know like all the stuff that the regular recycling says don't ever put this in with your commingle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for the the single stream <laughs> right, recycling stuff, it, it jams up their machines. Um, yeah, so you can buy these special bags and set them out next to your recycle bin with all the stuff that you previously couldn't recycle, and they'll think, supposedly they do something with that. I I'm still convinced they just dump it all in the in the landfill, <laughs> even the regular recycling. <laughs> Although with the way they've been raising prices and reducing services, that you know, it would. It, I think it's just them acting <laughs> like they're actually doing it. But who knows what happens to those orange bags. But I think I'm going to try that. Well, I was about to say, just in my job, like I know the recycling facilities for the single stream stuff exist. Like, I do think you can question how much of the stuff from the tr those pickups are making it there. But some of it is. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm uh, picking on my company specifically. Just based on their track record the last couple of years. Like when COVID hit with lockdown, they were like, oh, okay, people are putting out um, too much recycling, so we're going to only come every other week. Wait a minute. <laughs> See, my, my recycling pickup has, has always been every other week from the beginning, which especially with the amount of, uh, of Amazon orders and whatnot, like 
there's been enough cardboard that I've also been having to make trips there here. There's a County recycling facility that fortunately can take a lot of the overflow. Yeah. I have a bunch of, uh, cardboard boxes that are cut up into smaller pieces. So they fit in the bags. And then, yeah, I, 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 I've definitely gone through that when I didn't feel like going to the County drop off place. Yeah. I, I have my box cutter that just every once in a while I'll, I'll get out to mm -hmm. slice up the boxes to try to jam some of them in my recycle bin. Our, our County recycling place is in the opposite corner of the County. And this County is one of the larger ones in a state full of very small counties. So I don't feel like driving over. It's like a 40 minute drive to get over there. <laughs> Yeah, so. my, like my county is also one of the larger ones. It's just I was fortunate in that I live in one of the more populated parts of it. So the recycle drop off is right nearby. Yeah. But I've got I've got a stack or, or, you know, rows of garbage bags with cut up cardboard boxes in them. And, you know, every other week I go and I put two or three of them out there next to the bin and they and they take them. But it's like. I'm producing it faster than they can pick it up because they're only coming every other week. Anyway, we'll stop complaining about <laughs> garbage service and move on to uh, something um, more entertaining, maybe. Oh, I should have started with this. That's right. It's the dead celebrity theme. Fre fresh off the presses. Dave Grohl is officially cursed. First, he was the drummer in a band where the singer died. Now he's the singer in a band where the drummer has died. Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters passed away mysteriously. We don't know yet why. Uh, in, where was it? Columbia? Uh, Bogota, Columbia, yeah. I think, was where the show was going to be. Of course, the Colombian police think that it has something to do with drugs but i don't know if that's just because of um you know that's what they're used to <laughs> just assumed because of his profession has he supposedly and been that, clean yeah. for a really long time yeah famous musicians dying suddenly in hotel rooms hmm i was about to say yeah mus musicians and wrestlers it does seem like it's usually substance related to some degree wrestlers too huh Especially ones from that era when steroid use was a lot more rampant than it is now. Um, oh, th there yeah. was a whole series of wrestlers that died before they even got to 50, um, supposedly as a result of the stresses on their body from that. Are any of them having that CTE thing? Is that is that big in wrestling from all the pile drivers and... Uh, it, it's been a concern and I, I know a bunch of the, pro, uh, the bigger promotions tend to have programs where if you've taken too many concussions or, you know, gotten too many concussions, like they, they kind of have you dial down or even exit from doing in-ring stuff altogether. Um, kind of one of the famous examples was, uh, Daniel Bryan in the WWE, was relegated to, uh, you know, he was on screen, but he wasn't doing in-ring stuff for a long time because he had gotten so many concussions until, like, it was a long process for him to get med medically cleared to wrestle again. Because he had to prove he didn't have, like, ongoing damage from these concussions. Right. 
Yeah. According to those close to him, the death could be related to the consumption of drugs, the Metropolitan Police of Bogota said in a statement. <laughs> That's it. That's literally it. <laughs> That's the only evidence we have that drugs are involved, is the police speculated based on something somebody told them. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully find out the real reason soon enough. How about some uh, lighter-hearted medical news? Dr. Richard Stevens, senior lecturer in psychology at Keele University Staffs, says swearing is drug-free, calorie-free, cost-free, and the side effects free. So why not try it? In tests, people who swore when their hand was put in a bucket of ice-cold water withstood the agony for 40 seconds longer. The S-word and F-word were used by many of the subjects to good effect. The study concluded, if words are the most powerful drug used by mankind, then the physical therapy profession should embrace swearing to change the way our patients think, feel, and perform. This, this just reminded me of, um, I can't remember the specifics of the study, but this was several years ago. And it was like, you know, kind of polite society kind of has always held that swearing is a sign of like low intelligence, low vocabulary. And then there was the study that said, no, actually completely the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> well, now it'll uh, it'll help your your pain in physical therapy. It's good. Good for your health. Good for the mind. It's what's not to love. Just don't swear at your therapist. <laughs> Just scream. Scream the shits and fucks out loud at the wall <laughs> over there. Don't direct them at uh, your healthcare workers, please. Yeah, specifically those two words <laughs> they found <laughs> worked better than anything else. And I don't know why I had the history of sushi Wikipedia page. I think this was from two visits ago of yours, Josh. <laughs> there was some some game that sounded like uh, it was some japanese island that sounded like sushi oh sushima yeah yeah, yeah. sushima okay that's why this is in here <laughs> i thought that was it but i had to go i had to consult my notebook and look uh back several weeks by the way uh new notebook you are sadly uh well you're the first live guest in it gotcha last, last week's episode which was pre-recorded um almost 11 months ago <laughs> was technically the first one in there. And that's all the news that I had. <laughs> I was about to say, only kind of news type thing I have is, um, so, Mar like, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is kind of the, the remastered, like, version of Mario Kart 8 with everything that's on Nintendo Switch. Uh, Nintendo started a $25 season pass that is going to double the number of tracks in the game. Uh, there, there are eight tracks being dropped, you know, a few months apart between now and uh, 2023. The first eight tracks dropped like about a week ago. Uh, most of them are just like newer versions of tracks from previous games that hadn't appeared in the Switch game yet. But uh, they're a lot of fun. I've been playing around with them. So eventually, will they compile all of the tracks from all of the games in the Switch game? Definitely the more popular ones, it seems like. Uh, I don't know if they're going to get to all of them, as there's been so many tracks in the, you know, the history of the franchise. Uh, 
but it's there's 40 there there's 48 tracks in the base game and this pass will add 48 more over about a year i was binging so, some tv show recently or semi-recently and the characters were playing mario kart and allison had asked me what is that what are they playing I'm like well it's mario in a go-kart so like even I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that and Mario Kart was one of those games that like my dad was never one for video games, but he played Mario Kart with me yeah. when I was a kid, like back in the <laughs> Super Nintendo days. Pretty much any kind of car racing game like that is you know, all you do is fast, slow, left, right. It's yeah. it's it's easy to for people like me and dads everywhere. Not that I'm yeah, it's, it, it's the sort of thing where there are more advanced techniques to things, but like you don't have to use right. them. You can get along just fine with yeah the bare, ex bare ex basics. Accelerate, break, turn. Yep. Well, speaking of video games, what's new out there, Josh? Uh, that there Elden Ring from uh, from Software, uh, who who famously <laughs> developed Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, a uh, bunch of games that kind of the unifying theme is usually that they're kind of these dark, gritty action RPGs uh, that are known for being quite difficult. Um, Elden Ring is kind of their first attempt at an open world style game, you know, like a lot to explore, uh, which is also kind of nice. Is it's like when you hit a wall with one of the the difficult bosses, you can always kind of go off in a different direction. And like the world is very large and you don't realize it has the way they have you uncover the map is you have to find these map fragments as you're exploring because otherwise you just see kind of like blank space and like major roads. Uh, and they also show like when you're in the first region, you're the overall thing you see when you go to the map screen, whether you've gotten the fragments to fill it in or not, is like about the size of that first region. And they don't open that up until you start getting to the new region. So they kind of hide how big the map is from you early on. And it's like I said, that tend, these games tend to be pretty dark in tone, but then you'll get random, like little wholesome bits. Like one of the major bosses in Elden Ring, uh, he's this giant dude riding this tiny little horse. <laughs> and you find out, like, this guy learned gravity magic specifically so he could continue using his beloved childhood horse after he had outgrown him. <laughs> He uses gravity <laughs> magic to buoy himself up on this little horse. Can that, he, that's like maybe like one eighth his size. Right. Can he can he just fly without the horse? He just chooses to continue to ride the horse because he, just he loves it so much. To use this beloved horse from his childhood uh -huh. um, and learn gravity magic so he wouldn't just crush it. <laughs> Does he tell you this? <laughs> it's so the way these games tell their story is like you'll you'll get occasional cutscenes that give you a little of it, but a lot of the information is hidden in the item descriptions for this, you know, the equipment you find. And so I think it's like something buried in like his armor set or maybe like one of the spells you can get from him or something. I can't remember what specifically. 
but so yeah it's just this large world to explore with so many secrets and like one of the recent bits of news regarding the game that kind of shook everyone up is the the souls games have always had the concept of these illusory walls that like you go they look like a wall but when you hit them they disappear and reveal a new path and the game's kind of pseudo online uh characters can leave messages that if you your systems online other players can see and they can kind of they can either kind of point you in the wrong direction or they can point you towards the secrets um but with these illusory walls there are very few of them but then it was recently discovered that there's a wall in the game that like you have to hit like 50 times to make it disappear just this <laughs> secret that was put in the game that like who would reasonably right. find that who would just stand there and hit it as many times as yeah, but, they, but the, you'd hit but, it a couple but, of dozen, but, you know, a dozen times and then be like, I'll screw this and move on. Yeah, but but like you have this hardcore fan base of the Souls games that like will try to search every nook and cranny to find these secrets that the um, the director uh, Miyazaki, uh, not not the more famous Miyazaki, but but also named Miyazaki. Uh, just puts these things that you wouldn't think anyone would find, but then someone eventually finds them. And it's kind of has like in the previous Souls games have always had this very like dedicated but relatively small fan base. Uh, but then with Elden Ring, it's like sold, I think, like 12 million in a very short time. Like it's it's about as new player friendly as any Souls game has ever been. Because it gives you, has like, like I said, you have these hard bosses, but this game gives you more tools to deal with them. Like there's these npc summons you can get to help with bosses and then of course there's the traditional souls has always had this online system where like other players can set themselves up to be summoned to help people uh in their games it's kind of an interesting system and then there's also like an invasion aspect like a pvp aspect though you specifically have to open yourself up to that so it's not not like you'll just be casually playing and you'll suddenly get invaded by this high level player out to destroy your fun. Hide Taka Miyazaki. That's the one. I I couldn't quite remember his first name. I knew it started with an H. Also, co-writer along with That's kind of a surprise. Yeah, George R R Martin. <laughs> I forgot about that part. He he was involved with Elden Ring. I, the way I've heard it is that he gave kind of like a framework and then Miyazaki and his team like basically filled in the gaps. <laughs> so so George R. R. Martin finding yet another thing to do other than finishing his series. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so the the <laughs> was when was this? Hang on a second. What is the date on that? What's the date today? Oh so this is three days ago. This is right after I probably emailed you <laughs> about what do you want to talk about? I saw, I saw this, somebody random on the internet. I have never played Elden Ring, so I thought people were just joking while talking about a Pope turtle or exaggerating. Maybe it was like a turtle made of light or a reptilian priest or whatever, but no, it's exactly what the name indicates. Turtle Pope. Yep. Turtle Pope's <laughs> one of the beloved NPCs of the game. Um, Muriel, the pastor other- of vows. 
Yeah, the the <laughs> other one is there's a uh, a wolf man named Blythe uh, who's very popular. A a witch named Ronnie. That, that there's several NPCs that have become very popular with fans of the game, but but Turtle Pope I think might be the most beloved <laughs> of them all. So have you gone through the whole thing? It's been out for what a month. I, I my personal playthrough, I, I'm still kind of lost in the first couple of regions, but like I've watched other people's playthroughs. The Souls games, because of how obscure it can be with the way it gives information to you, like I've never felt bad about like I will like watch other playthroughs and look up stuff just because there's so much to be missed. Like and even even the playthroughs I've seen, as I understand it, like end up missing a lot. So so it's just one of those games. It seems like there's so much to discover. I can't possibly ever see all of this game. As the world is probably the biggest from game previously in terms of map size was, I think, probably Dark Souls 3. And I think like god like one region of the map in elden ring is nearly the size of a lot of the prior the previous souls games wow i've never thought about the size of the maps and, and they've actually done a like good job before. yeah and they've actually done a good job like there are some open world games where i have the complaint of like it's a big world but very little to find but they've actually fairly densely packed the world with like and like i said like even with all the stuff you can can find fairly easily there's so much more that like can easily be missed that if you want to try to find it on subsequent playthroughs this is kind of the culmination of like i think this was i think all of from's teams worked on this game at varying times and it's just kind of they ended up refining a lot of things they had done in all their past series like like there's stealth elements now so you can like just kind of like crouch walk around enemy encounters if they seem too difficult or or because you have a horse now you can just run away a lot more <laughs> easily than you could when everything was on foot is that an adult sized horse <laughs> yes, the player character horse is adult size, but it's a spectral steed, so you can like summon and dismiss it as needed. Oh, that's nice. You don't have to worry about tying it up to a tree somewhere. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's you, you. Early on, you get a ring that lets you summon this spectral horse that has taken a liking to you for reasons, <laughs> and then you can you can dismiss it, and then like it does have a health meter. It can be like taken out. But then there's a mechanic for you to resummon it pretty easily if need be, if it gets destroyed. I was just thinking, talking about the maps, I'm curious to know what game that you have played has the largest world, the largest map in it. Um, and was it that... any good? <laughs> was it one of those ones that <laughs> everything was spread out? <laughs> I mean... uh so honestly like not a huge map but like my favorite open world map is there's a game series called yakuza uh that that has this it is a very particular slice of a japanese city that you see in every game 
And so by the later games, they've done a very good job of like defining and filling it out with stuff to do and find. So not like a large map, but just a very well designed map after however many iterations. Uh, largest map that I liked, honestly, probably Elden Ring has, like I said, it's, it's fairly large. It's, it's definitely one of the largest and fairly densely populated uh, largest map previously that I can remember is probably like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which very popular game. I personally was not a big fan as like the map is huge, but it's also very desolate, which there is a story reason for that. <laughs> Just not very compelling to me gameplay wise. Right. <laughs> but that one's still smaller than Elden Ring. Probably. Uh, we'll see how You're it goes sure with, uh, <laughs> as they're doing a Breath of the Wild sequel. Uh, and I know from what little they've seen, there's like there's stuff up in the sky now. So I'll be curious to see how much that impacts the overall size of like oh, the boy. explorable yeah. area. Some one upsmanship going on here. Yeah, well, and Elden Ring has a little of that. You have like this va these vast underground areas uh, that you can get to. Uh, that you don't realize how much of it there is because they you, you kind of reach these underground areas like separately and don't realize how big and connected they all are because there there are different ways to access a lot of them and it's just wild looking at the map and realizing and, and it's the speed runs of the game or has like I I watched a playthrough that was like the guy did as much as he could find. And it was probably like, I think, 12, like seven to 10 hour streams. Uh, and that was seeing mostly everything. But there are speed runs of the game that I think the record uh, has he this streamer I watched was talking about some of the speed runs has there's actually to finish the game. There's very little of it you actually have to see. Uh, so I think there were early speed runs that were only about two that that were about two hours compared to you know hundred plus hours to see everything, and then there was recently I think the record speed run right now is like thirty thirty five minutes. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> As you know, like I like speed running community is always interesting because it's these people that learn these games like the back of their hands. And like, we'll, we'll find ways to like, find what can be cut out and find like, what is the absolute minimum you need to do to get through this game. And you're the opposite type of player. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> like, I may not do er absolutely every little thing, but I am also not going to speed run. Right. Definitely not going to try to run through a game with hundreds of hours of content and you know 30 minutes right definitely not doing that i mean you paid for it you may as yeah. well find out what all is there <laughs> well as like I, watching some of those boss fights i can look at them and it's like i don't know that i'll ever be able to make it and but like a lot of the more difficult boss fights are optional and some of them i look at them like i will try this i don't think i'm gonna beat this so so i will see as much of the game as i can but like i have no illusions that i'll see the whole thing How's that work? Do they let you? Uh, do they let you save right before? <laughs> like, if you see one of those fights coming up, you can just hit hit save. 
<laughs> before, well, before you commit. So, so the, the game works like there's a little bit of checkpointing that happens in some places, but for the most part, like you find in Dark Souls, there were bonfires in this game. They're called points of grace, but they're just singular save points. And Elden Ring, they, they've been a lot more forgiving with their placement than they ever had before has like other souls type games you would usually like have a save point at the beginning of the area and then once you got to the boss and lost you would start at that beginning of the area save point and if you wanted to try to make it with resources intact you'd have to try to run it and like yeah. avoid as many of the enemies as you could whereas elden ring instituted a thing where you have a form of save point like right at the door for a lot of these bosses uh to make it a little more a little less grueling than it used to be and it, it's uh so so you don't have to make those there are optional areas where they have something more akin to these old school boss runs uh where you're avo- dodging enemies so as not to burn precious resources so overall though you're still working your way through it so yeah assuming yeah. you'll uh you're going to keep you're going to keep exploring so we'll get a, a a full review at some point in the future but for now you're liking it though oh i, I definitely seems like the best of this style of game they've ever made and like i said it was kind of the entire develop, like all the development teams worked on it at different points. And it's kind of, they've refined, they've refined everything they did in previous games to such a high degree. Like it plays so well. Um, and like all the little things like they've has like dual wielding, like having a weapon in each hand. That's something they've tried in the previous games that they never got quite right. Works really well here. Uh, just and little quality of life improvements like that. And of course, like the increased number of save points to make it a little more friendly to people who have never played a Souls game before, uh, that sort of thing. And cool. We'll look forward to the next time we talk to you to see how much yeah. further you've gotten. Oh, it's only, yeah. I only, only uncovered two more chunks of the map. <laughs> I mean, that's probably what it'll come down. It has like in each look, like, in each region just and and when you find the map fragment so that you have a better lay of the land it's when you look at the map even if you haven't discovered a thing yet you can like look at the map and kind of tell what the points of interest are likely to be so like you can wander blind but you don't have to which is kind of nice like you can look at the map and even if you haven't discovered it yet you can see like oh there's probably a cave and this little crook in this cliff here you know stuff like that the way they've uh they've represented the design of it includes kind of natural hints for you yeah yeah, Yeah. kind of little markers that kind of point you not necessarily the way and there's also like from the save points there's kind of this this very subtle golden arc that kind of points you towards the plot critical path uh, and you can choose to take it or you can ignore it and just randomly explore well cool i um i missed a news item so <laughs> going back in time well this is uh just from yesterday as we record this 
Um, are you a fan of the uh, Indiana Jones uh, movies? Josh? I am. You'll you'll like the, everybody who is will like this. <laughs> On Thursday, archaeologist Dr. Scott Stripling Stripling unveiled what he believes to be the earliest proto-alphabetic Hebrew text ever discovered in ancient Israel. It is something they are calling a curse tablet. <laughs> it is a tiny. Two centimeter by two centimeter folded lead amulet unearthed at Mount Ebal, one of the two mountains near the city of Neblis in the West Bank. Mount Ebal is referred to as a place of curses in Deuteronomy. That's Old Testament. Uh, Stripling, Stripling, who is director of excavations for the Associates for Biblical Research at ancient Shiloh and his team are dating the minuscule tablet back to the late Bronze Age, as early as 1400 BC. Uh, he says this is earlier than many skeptics believe the Bible existed. If further analysis confirms this age, it would be one of the most significant discoveries in biblical archaeology in many decades. Indeed, it would be marked as the earliest known artifact to mention God in the land of Israel. Very cool. It's folded lead, so they can't really unfold it or they'll destroy it, right? So, because it's what? 3,500 years old. So they did high-tech scans. They don't say what kind. I'm assuming CT scans. But they discovered an ancient proto-alphabetic Hebrew text comprising 40 letters. It reads, Cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed by the god Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. So yeah, let's poke poke at this thing some more. Yeah, way to go, scientists. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that feels like the same energy as there's uh, this wrestler called Danhausen, whose whole character he describes it as uh, Conan O'Brien possessed by a demon. But his big <laughs> thing is when people don't do something he likes, he curses them. Uh, j- just this very particular hand gesture he does to curse them and of course nothing ever comes of it but like that kind of feels like that same energy yeah (laughs) if uh if if i was on this team of of scientists and archaeologists and and like hey so what did that uh that amulet thing that we found uh what did that end up saying translation guys um it's not good (laughs) we're all we're all probably gonna die you have days to live at best. <laughs> oh, well, good luck to them. <laughs> All right. So, Josh, do you have yep. a do you have a story to tell us? I I, I perhaps do. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's uh, and it is as I described to to you in email. Um, so so. Kind of the way the story goes is my dad, for most of his, for a big chunk of his career, was associated with a specific specific chemical manufacturing facility. Like he started out as a process engineer there, and like over time, like by by when he finally stepped away, he was plant manager. Okay. Um, and, and this was, you know, as a lot of chemical manufacturing is, like it was a union shop, uh, and there was a chemical manufacturers union local chapter 
And of course, dad being the local management, like even though he had kind of worked with these people a long time before he became management, he was the local management and he came, became the focal point of their ire whenever there was a dispute with the company. And like, it would get wild. Like I remember when I was in middle school uh, and there was a particularly uh, nasty strike uh, dad would come home with these videos of they would like hold these weekly rallies where they would basically sing these very inventive songs about how terrible my dad was <laughs> in the company and all this stuff. And the, the leader, like the leader of the union would usually be the one singing these songs. And it was one of those cases where like he and my dad respected each other, but also just kind of hated each other's guts because of them being on opposing sides, you know, when these labor disputes came up. You you described this guy in the email as your dad's nemesis. Professional nemesis. Yeah. yeah that, 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 <laughs> and it's a pretty good description. Um, but like outside of being you know a chemical worker this guy also made knives like would find like shed deer antler turn it into handles make blades out of scrap steel and like was a fairly talented knife maker like the gentleman has you know passed a while back and his knives are well regarded enough that like they can go for hundreds, if not over a thousand dollars, if you have one in good shape. So like, people people recognize his name in the knife uh, collect collecting uh, industry, at, at least within the southeastern region, right. anyway. Um, and so apparently, like the way Dad tells the story is, he came up to Dad one day, which I I think I was thirteen when he received this, uh, and and gave my dad one of his knives as like, you know, you know, I hate your guts and would never give you a thing, <laughs> but I know you have a son, so I am giving this to you with the understanding that it goes to him when you think he's ready for it. Wow. And so I have this very well-made knife in my collection that was made by, like I said, my dad's professional nemesis. Do you have it there with you? Uh, it is in a drawer very nearby. Uh, Just because the, I... the listeners can't see it doesn't mean I can't. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. I'll describe it to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, like my camera on my laptop is not fantastic. Oh, wow. But... So what is the handle on that one? Uh, it's it like I said, it's just it's... a a he collected shed deer antlers and just like polished them, uh, you know, into a handle form. Like it, and it's just a straight up deer antler, but it actually makes for a pretty good handle. I've never heard shed shed deer antler before. What is? Oh, like as in they shed it? Okay, never mind. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, did did they like? run into a shed and it got stuck yeah <laughs> no as in when you know the the antlers get cast off for whatever reason like he he would find those cast off bits and polish them into knife handles that's that's the old uh using a verb as a noun thing confusing yeah. confusing me well cool that's a very um what was the length on that like uh six inches on the blade uh, yeah, the blade's probably about six, maybe a hair longer. And, and yeah, like made out of like good high car, or, you know, carbon steel. I, I think it was scrap steel, but it's carbon steel. So it holds up pretty well. Good scrap. 
none of that uh secondhand uh, you know that uh that that us uh, what, what am i trying to say <laughs> second tier secondhand scrap wow. yeah like i don't know i don't know fully the story of how he sourced his uh his carbon steel for his knives but uh it seems to whatever it starts out as it turns into a pretty good blade <laughs> it sounds very ron swansony of that guy like <laughs> like Guy who I disagree with all the time at work. I hear you have a son. Here is a knife. Give it to him when he is of age. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, obviously, like Ron Swanson as a character didn't exist uh, at, at the, the time, time, so I had never made that connection. But yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and like, I had never directly met this person at any point, but... Uh, but yeah, it, it it it's just it's one of those very interesting stories involving my dad and and his like I said, he had this career where he started out as just like a regular engineer and like by the end of his career he was like executive level management. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of intrigued by a, a comment that you made as you were introducing the knife. You said it's in your collection. I mean, there there was a point, yeah, like, I feel like every boy goes through a period where they're interested in knives, like I certainly did, and it seemed to be common, though this, it came up for me when I lived in a very rural area, so that probably plays into it, and it, it it's not so much, like, even now, like, every once in a while, like, I don't actively collect the way I used to. But like if I see like a very well crafted knife or like one with an interesting design, like I'll still occasionally like add it. Uh has like there's this one, you know, there's a bunch of knife makers now that do fun things with like, you know, old tools or like one knife maker I started following in particular because he turns old railroad spikes into knives. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, and I've seen like wrench knives or like other forms of like turning old tools into to blades, and and it, th- there's some very neat designs that come out of that. So was the uh, the Nemesis knife? Is that the the first one in your collection? Is that what's kicked things off, or did you already were you already it, into it's, it? It's it's probably the first one that wasn't flea market junk. Let's yeah, put it like okay. That. <laughs> but you had been collecting cheap knives. I, I had other knives, but none of them were anywhere close to the quality of this thing. And even then, like that didn't enter my collection until I was an I was an adult, basically. Wow. So, what was your reaction when what 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 did your dad tell you when he he gave you that knife? Well, now see, he told me the story when he got it. So, like, I knew he had this knife for years before he actually did pass it to me. Oh, so, okay. so, so, like, I, I kind of knew the story as I told it to you, like the paraphrasing of what the guy said and all. Um, but, but, yeah, like, Dad had he he basically waited until like i was through college uh before i actually like it was given directly to me so how long was that that he held on to it i had about 10 years wow <laughs> i think you would uh, if it was after college i i would have think you you would have been ready for that knife when he got it i mean realistically uh i mean 
I, I like I don't know why he waited that long, but like <laughs> I, I kind of view it as what was I going to do with a knife that good as a kid? That's true. Probably damage it or ruin it. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say probably get the blade damaged or damage myself with it or something stupid like that. I need to find a better like like I don't really have a good way to display that sort of thing right now. I need to get like some kind of like wall hanging box or something I can I can set it in just to to have it on display. Yeah, because um, it's uh it it looks like something you would want out. Yeah, has I, I have like has like I have two or three like really good like handcrafted like knife maker made knives that I, I've been wanting to find a good way to display and I just don't have one yet. I don't do I have any actual I don't. I know I never got into collecting knives. I I always have, you know, like a pocket knife or some kind of knife, yeah. small, you know, two or three inch blade around. For... Well, and that and that's the way cuz my dad grew up like very poor in a very rural area, so like he would talk about like how it was very common for like even in elementary school like all the kids had some kind of pocket knife yeah. on them. And and like we discussed, I I had them when I was young enough to not know how to take care of them. <laughs> my dad did have this uh pocket knife that had a little like I don't know if it was brass or whatever, like a little brass plate on the handle. It was one of the foldable, you know, pocket knife, and uh, and it had his 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 initials in it. I don't know where he got it. Like maybe it was a gift from my mom or something. But uh, he had that in his pocket for years. And then one, he had this uh, crusty old kind of orangey brown '70s recliner, <laughs> and uh, that w- that was his chair in the TV room. You know, my mom had a rocking chair, and yeah, uh, yeah. in the other corner. And uh, one one day it fell out of his pocket and he didn't realize. And the next time he went and pulled the lever to recline the chair, it went. <laughs> it's like, what the heck was the, you know, the 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 foot thing only came up halfway. <laughs> he had to flip the chair over and dig around in there. And there there was his his pocket knife with his initials on it. And it was a knife blocking the mechanism. And it was kind of, it was kind of mangled, but it still worked. It, it just it just ruined the the handle part. You know the outside like scratched of the knife. up the exterior, bent or it up it pretty good. Bend it. It actually oh, okay. bent it pretty good, but it still functioned. I think he still has it. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to ask him about that. I was about to say, definitely must have been a gift if he's still been holding on to it after that. Yeah, I'm trying to think, what's the current pocket knife? Because I did, I got one. He got me one. I must have expressed some interest in his pocket knife, and I think the first real knife that I got was as a gift from him and it had my initials on it but it was just stainless like all stainless steel pocket knife but he had had it monogrammed for me <laughs> so we they weren't exactly matching but it was in the spirit of his knife um i th- i still have that somewhere but it's totally dull cuz i never took care of it like i said didn't get it sharpened ever yeah, like the 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 three big knives I have in terms of just being like well crafted and beautiful is there's that one. There's uh, at one point my dad was working for a Swedish company, and they did this big uh, company trip to um, Lapland country, like way up in North Sweden. 
and they they make beautiful knives the laplanders and they he actually got one as a gift that he ended up giving to me that, that's just a well-made like kind of that reindeer antler handle like carved down with all the intricate designs mm-hmm. in it like and then the other one is it's from like a knife maker in arkansas i found the one i found because the railroad spike knives um, he had started doing, you know, the kind of Damascus style steel, you know, with the the wavy striations oh, and yeah, the, uh, yeah. the metal. And he had done a really pretty one with like a blue metal handle uh, that I think costs about like his stuff goes for more now, but it costs like $200 at the time. And I'd be like, I would really like to get that knife. Okay. Yeah. Just. I just image searched railroad spike knife and it, it is what I thought it was where they preserve the end of the spike on, on one end for the handle. And then usually that's like twisted. A lot of them are twisted and then it's the blade on the other side. Those are cool. Yeah. And that, I know look- some people do like horseshoe knives where they kind of like straighten it out a little, but oh, it still yeah. has a curved handle. If, if it's, you know, steel, I guess anything made out of steel you could make a knife out of right yeah it, it's the place I, I like i had gotten this stuff from was uh pierce knives logan pierce i think is the guy's name and yeah he's got like a rebar knife a wrench knife the horseshoe knife and he also like has a tomahawk made from a wrench which is an interesting design low carbon steel railroad spikes That's important because when a spike is driven, it won't break into flying steel chips and will likely stay in place when bent. So high carbon makes it brittle? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I think iron has a little bit of flex to it. And then, yeah, as you add more and more carbon, it gets harder and harder. But but also that makes it more rigid and more brittle. Good for knives, not for spikes. Yeah. But you can, like when you're forging, right you're turning the spike into the knife there are certain things that they do that make it harder just the act of manipulating it and and it's one of those things that like the harder you make the steel of the blade the like better it holds an edge but like the harder it is to sharpen uh, if the edge gets blunted in any way well cool well josh thank you for sharing your story on this the 10th year of Nerdburger, where we have story time i need to come up with a uh story time theme music to play for, for introducing these. <laughs> i thought about that and then i forgot <laughs> so note to self hey future mike who's editing this uh find story time theme thank you well does that about do it for today i think that's all i had awesome well, Josh, it was good to see you. It was good to see you. Thanks for having me again. You're welcome. Thanks for coming back. Uh, start thinking of your next story now. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a little, little bit more time to come up with something. And now is the part of the show where you ask me where they can find us. Where can they find us, Mike? I'm so glad you asked. They can find us at nerdburgershow.com. Email us, nerdburgershow at protimail.com. And if you didn't like anything we said, Hashtag cancel Nurburger. That's new for this year. Not the 10th year of Nurburger, the year of 2022. I'm only doing that for a year. <laughs> if it doesn't work, then I guess you're stuck with us, right? 
Join us next week on Nurburger when Lieutenant Colonel James returns again for reasons, but in real life this time again, not on Memorex. you could hear that um thank you for the email you just sent <laughs> i thought what do i need to do to turn that off <laughs> i thought i turned that off how do i what <sighs> okay whatever apple <laughs> bing uh, i was just trying to do it while i was thinking about it <laughs> well i appreciate that and i you know it shouldn't have made a noise because i have turned that off before i will have to turn try to turn it off again yeah, the only time my phone isn't on silent is usually when I'm at a convention. Oh, that was it. It was the phone. No, phone's on silent. What the hell wasn't oh, silent? Oh, tablet? Maybe. I don't know. I got. Because I always forget about the tablet since it, it logs that stuff as well. I mean, if it's tied to your same yeah. accounts, it'll still pick up on the notification chain. That must have been it. Darn it. Boiled again. Too many devices. Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I recently uh, went from. I had a Gen One uh, iPad Pro. That's what I have. Um, I, I switched to. I upgraded to the current Gen iPad Mini, mm. and I keep forgetting to set it to silent. So, like half my notifications that I get on my phone that I have on silent will ping and make noise on the the iPad. So wait, did you have the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro? Yeah. The the big like Gen One beast, that, yeah. That's what I'm looking at right now. So you went from that to the iPad Mini. <laughs> yeah, I I did the because I didn't really need anything that big for any particular reason, and I had looked up because uh, Apple has their like trade in program yep. if you're buying it direct from them, and I looked at what the estimated trade in value of like the Gen One iPad Pros and good conditions were and it was basically half of what an ipad mini cost so really you know, with the lowest amount of storage yeah it was like uh 230 or something like that trade-in value wow. and i was really surprised it was still that much so i was like yeah why not i might need to think a little bit harder about trading this in the only reason i bought it the big one because that was the size that they had they didn't have the 11 inch version when the gen ones right yeah and, but i got it to for to use the apple pencil with that was, that the, was that basically, was yeah, I had too. gotten yeah. it for the, yeah, I had gotten it for the more robust processing power and yeah, the pan, the pencil compatibility. Well, cool. Thank you for the heads up on the trade-in value. I might take advantage of that. Yeah, if if it's in, and it'll take you a few uh, a few questions yeah. of like what kind of condition is it is it in this that and the other, but yeah, like in good condition, yeah, about two hundred and thirty. I, I was genuinely shocked it still got that much, but uh, was not going to complain. <laughs> and neither will I. All right. I gotta. I have to get going. I got to go find out what's going on with Allison. <laughs> She's texting me. Gotcha. Yeah, I might want to check on that. Okay. Well, good to see you again. All right. Good to see you. We'll have a good you weekend. Later. You too. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.